He's a well-respected high school football scout, known for his unpopular opinion and brash commentary. The coach, Keith Miller. They bring you the transparent truth. The world's number one source for high school football recruiting news and interviews. The transparent truth. Tr- 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 <laughs> welcome, welcome. You're now listening to the transparent truth. It's your boy, Coach Keith. Intercom Studios, Miracle Mile, starting off 2020, big time. Feeling good about being here, man. It's a it's a beautiful Tuesday, recording live on a Tuesday. Excited about this week. Got a big time guest and can't wait to share with you. Uh, local high school coach coming in with a lot on his mind and a fire in his belly. Looking forward to that. Uh, but excited to get 2020 started. Got a big slate of interviews, um, a lot of things to talk about. We're going to be talking, you know, high school ball, you know, off season. We'll be talking some college football. Of course, you got the national championship game coming up next Monday. We're we'll talking about some NFL playoffs, which should be a lot of fun. But uh, before we get to any of that down the road, today's show and Friday's show is all about transfers. Huge topic, not just here in Southern California, but across the state, across the country. Um, It's just a a, just a buzz term that is getting a lot of play, especially right now since semesters are starting. Semester two or second semester is starting in high school. Transfers are popping off everywhere. Big time transfer right now in Southern California. Keon Burnett, five star tight end out of. J. Sarah High School transferred recently to Servite and, and linked back up with Noah Fafita, his quarterback from youth ball, also T-Mac, Noah Avenger, and now Keon Burnett, which leads to a big-time, big-time upgrade at the tight end position, if you ask me. And Servite is loaded. For the 2020 season, but you know, transfers that's the topic of the show for the next two days, and it's gonna be explosive. So, I advise you to tune in and stay tuned in. Make sure you check back for the five star Friday show. But, um, before we get to anything else, we got a sleeper of the week. It's time for our sit and sleep sleeper of the week. Really want to thank our guy Larry Miller, he's allowing us to showcase unknown prospects that need to be brought to the spotlight. Larry is all about family and community, and his support is helping to change the lives of young players across the country. Each week, young men are getting scholarship offers after being featured on this show. So thank you, Larry. When we have business and a man that is really interested in the community, we need to show our support right back at him. Sit and Sleep is the only place that offers advanced sleep technology. Greg? Body diagnostics. That's five-star stuff. This is high-quality stuff. Lay down on a mattress, and within seconds, thousands. Thousands of sensors can help you find the absolute right mattress for you. Wow, within seconds? Seconds. Man, that's awesome. Sit and sleep. They'll beat anyone's advertised price or your mattress is free. Appreciate you, Larry Miller. Thank you, Larry. All right, our sleeper of the week this week comes from a local area. Local area I'm excited about. And uh, this kid... Especially I'm excited about. He's a 2021 kid, Mayfair High School, Mr. Jacob Gibson, six foot six, 245 pounds. And this kid has five star potential. At six foot six, 240, 245 pounds. He's the defensive end. He's long, he's rangy, he's raw. 
Um, he's just kind of getting his feet wet, but he's got a huge, huge upside. He's got five star potential, and I think he's got a chance. He's got a chance to be special down the road. So my sleeper of the week, Jacob Gibson, Mayfair High School defensive end, twenty twenty one class. He'll be a twenty five plus offer guy before it's all said and done. Mark it down because you know Coach Keith said it first. All right, moving along. Um, like to bring in now. Like to bring in my guest and. You know, this this young gentleman uh, I met years ago on the battlefield, and uh, he's been a very, very good ball coach as an assistant. Now he's been a head coach at a couple of different places, at a few different places, matter of fact, but none other than Damian Porter. D. Porter, how you doing? How you feel? I'm good, Coach. Happy New Year, man. Uh, happy to be here with you, celebrating the new year, and um, excited to uh, have a discussion with you today, man. No doubt about it, man. And we're, we're going to dive in shortly, Coach. But before we do that, uh, please give the people and give the listeners what they're looking for. Give us your background in terms of coaching the game. You've been to a couple of places as an assistant, as a head coach. You've had you know, some big-time success under your under your belt You know, as a relatively young head coach tell the fans and the listeners a little bit about your background coaching the game of football uh i was a little late um in the getting started in my coaching you know coaching is kind of you know my second career um i started coaching uh when i was 27 28 years old right after college um i i I played in the arena football league for eight or nine years and you know that's kind of what i did i didn't find coaching until you know the latter part of stages of my career and uh, once I did um, it was it made it easy for me to you know kind of walk away from the game and and then you know try to find an, another path for uh, a success and personal and professional development for myself um, so I got into coaching um, as you mentioned I've, I've, I've coached in a lot of different places um, you know it, probably more places than I would have liked but um, I, I, I've, I've gained a valuable amount of experience um, given the fact that I've been in so many different places, right? So uh, you're talking about four years of community college coaching experience um, and then, you know, seven or eight years as a, as a high school assistant at Crespi, again at Culver City. Um, and then I got started as a head coach at Lusinger High School, uh, which you know, back in 2014 and stuck around there for a few years, tried to build a program. Um, was that left Lusinger, went to Simi Valley, uh, you know, was kind of planning the do the same thing there and um, didn't get a chance to finish what I started. I was only there for one year before the Crespi opportunity uh, came my way. Uh, but being a former assistant and a former teacher, faculty member at Crespi, um, and the fact that we live in Woodland Hills, it was sort of a you know seamless fit for me. The timing wasn't as appropriate as I would have liked it to be, given that I had you know recently had signed a contract with Simi Valley. Literally, you know, not even the year before. The Crespi opportunity was presented to me, but, um, you know, life's about opportunities and life's about choices. And um, I was given both an opportunity and a choice and, uh, you know, decided to come back to Crespi and, and, and try to rebuild a program there. And so that's where I am currently, um, having a ton of fun and, and doing a, uh, you know, trying to do a good job of, you know, fulfilling all my job requirements and expectations. And um, really, no one's happier than I am right now. I've got the job I've always wanted. I live 10 minutes from school. Um, I get to be around for my family and support my wife and, you know, be there for my kids while I also pursue my passion um, and, and, and try to pursue success as a professional um, coach. So 
I'm blessed, man. Uh, and, and hopefully uh, 2020 will bring more blessings our way. Yeah, no question about it. And speaking of choices and opportunity, that's a great segue to our conversation today. And we're talking transfers. This is a hot, hot button topic, not only here in Southern California, but across the nation, right? Texas, where DeMond Demas, the top receiver in the nation, had to sit out his senior year because he transferred allegedly for, you know, sports reasons or, or for or athletic purposes. Florida, who's had an overhaul of their entire legislation in terms of transfers. Of course, we're here in Southern California, which is our home, and transfers seem to be out of control, right? That's the perception across Southern California that transfers are out of control and it's providing advantages and disadvantages uh, for both private schools, public schools, and for the well-off student and the socially economic disadvantaged student. So, Coach, mm-hmm. tell me where you stand in terms of transfer transfers and, and how they are being incorporated here uh, in Southern California. Oh, man. First off, I'll, I'll, I'll say, Coach, I'm, I am pro-transfer, um, you know, given the whole choice opportunity um, perspective that I just kind of gave you regarding my coaching career, right? So, sure. Um, I, I, I'm not perfect, but also, you know, don't don't consider myself to be a hypocrite either. Um, I don't want to take advantage and, and of all the choices that are being provided to me in my life, and and hold someone else to a different standard. So that's my general thought on it. Now, it's com- it's more complex than that, sure. right? Because if you're talking about kids who aren't really supposed to be making their own decisions. You're talking about parents um, and in high school programs and coaches. So. Um, that being said, you know, I, I, I am pro-transfer, but I also think um, that whatever our transfer policy is going to be, and I'm talking here in Southern California, we need to be more consistent. Sure. We The, the way that the current model is set up, it says, you know, hey, if you're going to transfer from school A to school B, you need to have a valid change of residence. Um, and a lot of people struggle with that. Well, what do they mean by a valid change of residence? Well, the CIF has defined what they consider to be a valid change of residence, right? That's me and my family selling our house or, you know, getting out of our lease agreement, packing up our bags and our, our you know, belongings and our pictures and our food, and we move it to another resident, another resident, um, so that my son or daughter can be eligible immediately to play sports at school B. Sure. Now, to me... Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that that's a decision that I would ever make. Um, I, you know, sports is a big part of our lives, but not big enough uh, for us to have to take on such um, psychological and emotional stress. Moving is stressful, you know, and you didn't, and then you, 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 you add to it the motivation it being that so your son or your daughter can play sports. Um, it just adds another personal emotional element uh, to that decision, and if. We're going to say that people have to move to be able to transfer and play. Then what does that say about the kids who can't afford to move? Right. Right. So now you're talking about uh, a policy that's not necessarily born in bias. The, the policy was born in traditional thinking. Hey, you're going to play for that school. You need to live in that community. Right. But the unintended consequence of this policy is that if you have the resources you can go move and play 
If you do not, you're stuck. Now, I've been a high school coach at three different schools, and I've seen both transfers. I've seen the sit-out kid that can't afford to move, and I've seen the, 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 the kid that has some resources that can move. Um, and you're, but both kids transfer from another school. Sure. One kid has to sit out, the other kid can play. Uh, so that's one of the unintended consequences uh, with, with our transfer policy and the, 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 the valid change of residence requirement. Another option that parents and families have is if you can't move, you can sit out for five games. And so most critics that will say, well, if you don't have the resources, why don't you just sit out for, you know, half the season and then you can play. And that's a fair argument. Um, and it's what I tell parents that, that have, that have ex- expressed interest in, you know, coming to schools where I've been. I've tried to help walk them through that process. But the downside of that is for a kid um, who may be traveling or coming from a, a distant, socially, economically disadvantaged background, he may need or she may need those five games. Absolutely. Um, and able to gather film and gather some exposure uh, so that they can, you know, try to, you know, uh, um, Put themselves in the best position to earn yeah. an athletic scholarship. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so there's so many factors at stake. But the one thing that I think we all miss, trying to find out what is best for the student athlete. Right. Regardless of what schools are affected or which coaches are affected, because one of the things you said was that, you know, there there's the haves and the have-nots. When it comes to the capitalistic society that we live in, mm-hmm. right? Why you say, why does, why does that matter? Well, because in the state of California, the schools that get affected the most when there is a budget cut in our state are public schools. Absolutely. And the cutting by cutting public schools budget, that money comes from athletics first. They don't take money from the teacher. They don't take money from the transportation. They take it from athletics. Extracurricular. And leads, yeah. And then, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so the extracurricular activities are those that suffer. And that's what leads to most of the transfers. There's just not enough resources there. Private school coaches are there all day. They're there year-round. They're on campus year-round and they're compensated to coach football. Public schools don't have coaches, dedicated coaches, that are compensated well enough to be able for them to be able to provide for their family to fulfill that commitment. No question. Public school coaches don't have, you know, the, the, the same salary structure that private school coaches have. Um, and so they, they, they don't have the same resources that the private school coaches have. When I was at Luzinger, I, I ran the offense. I ran the defense. You know, I had to tape ankles. I ran the strength program. <laughs> sure. I did everything. Yes. I had, to, I had to upload the film and cut it myself. I come to Crespi. I don't do any of that. Right. So, so just as a coach, I've experienced both sides of the spectrum when it comes to the, the, the advantages and disadvantages of high school athletics in Southern California. I've seen it with my own eyes. There's, there's no question. The the private school resources far yeah. outweigh what's available and readily available right. at public schools. We know right. public schools in Southern California are struggling right now. Budget cuts, when they happen, they happen, and those extracurriculars are going to be affected. But I want to go back really quickly. You touched on, and I kind of got some things I want to talk about here. You talked about, uh, you know, change of address of course the story came out at narbonne high school uh, cif or or narbonne itself narbonne administration did an oversight of the addresses that were submitted by some athletic participants i want to say football players and they came to find out 
that those addresses were phony or fake or the kids didn't live there. What do you, how, how do you speak to the lack of oversight, though, across Southern California? And, and I know that's a singular situation over it's at Narbonne. It, right. Talk to me about that. It's laughable. It, it, it's not a singular situation with Norbon. It's only singular in that that in which they got caught, right? right? There's a bunch of schools out there that have multiple transfers. And so this goes back to the valid change of residence requirement. Sure. Right? So because if Norbon takes 10 transfers, right, in one offseason, what we are saying, if those kids are on the field, per this policy, what we are saying is all 10 of those families moved into Norbon's district. Right. This is not common sense. It's just not common sense. Absolutely. Right. So then you say, okay, well then if it's if it's common sense that all of these families didn't move, then how come it's so difficult to prove? Well, you just said it. The lack of oversight. The CIF, and I don't know how many people work at the CIF, so I don't I'm not gonna pretend about five. Yeah. So they don't have the budget. <laughs> they don't have the budget or the or the manpower no. to enforce the policies. That say you're trying to implement that in itself is flawed structure. Flawed, extremely. Okay, I can't have a structure. I can't say, okay, here's the rules. Now police yourself. Right. Right. They right. Don't, the, the, when, when, we're, when you're in the car, you don't pull yourself over when you get a speed when you when you drive past the speed limit. You don't report yourself, but it's all self-reported stuff. So ultimately, what it comes down to is the integrity of your administration and your coaches. That's what these rules are about. They're about integrity. They're not. They're not about intent. So, if Norbon and 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 there was another school in Orange County, mm-hmm. right? This past season in the playoffs, they ended up in court on a Friday. Sure. And this particular school, it you know sort of built their program reputation um, on not having transfers, right? Right. This 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 one. San Clemente. Yeah, I I can't. You can speak. Right? I can speak. I can't speak. Sure. Um, but but. You know, there's, you know, they they built a powerhouse, and they got the same kids in the same community, and that is what their mantra has been. That's been their, their, their partying line. Yep. Their the rally know, cry, their the rallying cry. Right. Sure, that's right. It's their hashtag. How do, how do they get caught? Right. It, all it takes is one person to, you know, false, falsify some paperwork, or um, one person to, you know, turn the blind eye uh, to some paperwork and or change of address or whatnot, and. You have it. You have a kid that's playing, and unfortunately for that program in that community, a kid comes in from outside the community, and a town full of you know half a million people figured out real quick this kid ain't from around here. Right. Right. So transfers bring that. They bring some. They bring competition, but they also bring resentment when they come to a campus. Right. No so question. As, but, but that's that's for the coaches. You know, that's our job to manage our own programs. And, and our roster adjustments and our, our, our roster fluctuation on a year-to-year basis. That's not the CIF issue. What the CIF is struggling with is what you just mentioned, right? This 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 lack of oversight um, by the CIF. Well, the CIF will tell you it's up to the member schools. It's up to the, the it's up to the athletic directors to go out and make sure that these people are doing what they are saying that they're doing. So ultimately, the fall the blame doesn't fall on the CIF. Right. It ultimately falls with the administration. And so now the amount of pressure that you're putting on all these people, the athletic director, mm-hmm. the coaches, the parents, and the families, right, to try to prove this valid change of address in a marketplace 
where everyone is doing everything they can to try to find loopholes sure. in this in this policy. Absolutely. And, that's what, and ultimately, that's what it comes down to. You can jump through the loopholes and not get caught. You can jump through the loopholes and get caught. The transfer situation is very much akin to speeding on the highway. Agreed. Okay. Because the reality is some kids do transfer and the CIF does turn a blind eye to it. And if you're doing 75 on the freeway and it's 65 and everyone else is doing 75, the cops probably won't say much to you. Everyone's breaking the rules. But as soon as you do 95 or 100, now you've far exceeded, okay, your our expectation with regard to your, your speed of travel. And so now we're going to give you a ticket. That's the difference. The transfer thing is the exact same way. Yeah, you can take a few transfers. If you're a big powerhouse and you take too many, you're probably going to be investigated. And that's what happened with the school that you're talking about. It got to the point where so many kids were transferring that it became obvious um, that this was an issue. Um, and then not to mention the fact that they were winning. That's different, right? The on-the-field product was, was what it was. Right. But how those kids were coming to the school and the fact that they were being allowed to play. Red flag. Um, yeah. It was a red flag to some people and some coaches said well will other schools do it right sure come, you know and so what is how can one school get caught and another school not get caught resources right if you're jumping through loopholes um and you have the ability uh to disguise how you did it sure and for you getting caught are not as good as the person that doesn't have the resources to disguise how they're trying to jump through the loopholes that's what you're coming down with. That's what it's about. I don't care what nobody says. That is the CIF transfer conflict. No question. How to find the no question. Yep. In the valid change of address. And if the if the CIF would allow people to transfer, they would not see a numbers fluctuation. You just said it yourself. They they're already saying it's out of control. I had one coach, uh, one media guy asked me, "Well, Damien, if you do that, it's going to be the wild wild west." It's already the wild, wild west. It's already coach. there. Yeah, it's already the wild. I, I, I am, I am a proponent. I'm, I'm about the players, though. Let, let, let's take some of this stress and anxiety away from these families and allow them to be able to live in there. It's one thing for you to tell a family, you know, hey, if you got the resources, you need to move. But what I've learned in my experience with this thing, it's not just the money. You know, you, people are emotionally attached to their homes too. Of course. You know, they're psychologically attached. You know, we've lived in our house for five years. I couldn't imagine just moving because so my son could play football. No. So, you know, I that, that I'm, I'm I'm not on the other side of it. I'm on the coaching side of it. So I'm 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 a proponent of, 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 of having some transfer rules in place um, that allow kids to transfer, but with some limitations um, and, and taking away the, the stress and anxiety and the pressure that's being put on the athletic directors. And the strength and anxiety, the stress and anxiety that's being put on coaches and families um, to make these transfer situations um, a little less stressful uh, and more amenable for everyone involved so that the people that are involved have a better experience. I don't care if the media doesn't like the, the, the transfer situation. I don't care about the perception. It doesn't matter. It's, it's about the kids. Leading. It's about the kids. Yeah. Sure. It's about the kids. Absolutely. You're already transferring. And if you don't like the reason, then... Don't like the reason. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not into the motivational thing either. You know, well, he can, if, if, you're, if you're transferring for this reason, then it's okay. If you transfer for that reason, then it's not okay. You know, that whole athletically motivated transfer issue, which 
Okay, by the way, the CIF has said it's no longer an issue. It's not an issue. No. You don't have to you don't you don't have to disclose why you transferred anymore. That's right. So long as you prove that you you know you change residence or you're willing to sit out, you can transfer as many times as you want. And I feel like that some of that, some of those expectations are where we find the lack of oversight. Like in the one situation. Um, and then also the, 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 the elevated levels of stress and anxiety that the coaches and the kids are experiencing um, from the inside of the transfer policy. Okay, I agree. I agree with a lot of what you said, probably with everything you said. Um, but I want to I want to go back a little bit and let's just talk about how transfers, how it's evolved. Right. And you have experience as a head coach. I have experience as a coach as well for many years in the high school level. And I saw transfers come in a ton of different ways. And I want to know, or at least I want you to share from your experience, Damien, what or or how do these transfers, how does it it evolved into this? How do do the transfers, how does it start? How does the whole transfer thing start for a student athlete? Well, I went to to high school in the 90s. I graduated in 93 and and, and I I transferred. Mm -hmm. I'm from Crenshaw to Culver City. Okay. Right, I lived on 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 Seventh Avenue, Vernon. Grew up there. Um, went to Crenshaw, and my my mom was like, "Ah, it's tough." You know, she wanted me to be in a different environment, so she sent me to Culver City. Sure. Got a permit and went to the school. Right, there was no transfer stuff. There was no CIF. Like, you know, you either had to back then you had to move into the district, which is what all public schools say. Right, you need to live in our district. That's independent of the CIF. Right. Right. So I had to either move into the district or get a permit. Back then, you know, LAUSD would let kids leave the, the district, and I went to Culver City, and I transferred, and that was in. I started coaching in 04, um, and I do not remember transfers being as prevalent right. back then. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the growth of the sport, there's been a few factors that, that have affected the transfer rule. Um the, the, the growth of the, the, the growth and glamorization of the sport a lot of people think football numbers are on a decline they are at the youth level um, but the kids that love football are still playing football they right? still so love it yes they still love it right so that's the first thing you had you know the, the, the glamour for the, the glamorization of the sport is the most popular sport in America you, you, you take that the NFL ratings and then you, you the college football playoff right uh, and once that started to change, uh, to, to bring more visibility, uh, visibility and more exposure, um, and more revenue to the sport, um, college football budgets increased. They got bigger. They helped work with recruiting, right? And then the last thing, social media. Yep. Right. And I think what social media has done, it, it's it's brought more information and more more data to parents about other schools and about other programs. See, a lot of parents that may be in a situation or an environment. They've only known one school. They've only known one community their whole life. And then they get on Twitter or they get on, you know, Instagram or, or, or Facebook. And now so many schools are able to market themselves. Um, you're able to get attract more kids because you get more eyes on your program. Sure. You get more visibility that way. Sure. And so I think just those three factors um, has sort of driven a, a, a much, much larger appetite for, for, for families to want to find them to put themselves in the best program possible because of the opportunities that, that football can create for their families. Answer this for me. In, in my experience, 
there have been staff members solely dedicated on a high school staff yep. for recruiting kids. Yep. That's been their sole responsibility on staff to right. recruit kids and get them on campus. Yeah. What do so, you say to that? Well, you're going to find that, at, you know, that that's a private school approach, right? Mm-hmm. I was at Luzinger. We didn't have you no know, budget for no coach <laughs> to be a recruiter. Um, sure. And, 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 and we, don't, that's, we don't have that in our current um, situation at Crestby either. But most private schools are at a deficit when it comes to enrollment. Mm. Okay. What, 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 what we know about college football is that when you win games, your enrollment goes up. Yes. Right. There are a lot of private schools that believe that. Most do. Most believe that football, having a, a successful football program, most will tell you, hey, our philosophy is. It's a philosophical thing. Yes. If we win games, we get more visibility. More visibility equals more applications. More applications equals more students. More students, more revenue. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's worth it for those schools, okay, to hire full-time personnel to go out and recruit the best student-athletes to help them win games. It's a college football approach, right? It's private high school taking a college football approach. And nothing wrong with it. There are public schools that recruit, maybe not to the same extent because they don't have the same resources that the private schools do. But in order to get kids on your campus now, um, you know, you got to go out and get kids. They're not just showing up on your doorstep like they used to 20 years ago and I think the biggest reason why that's necessary is because the parents are so much more involved my my, 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 my coaches when I was growing up my mom never had a conversation with any of my coaches about where I was going to play now in order to get a kid on your campus you you almost have to go through the parents yeah. and, 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 and tell the parents first before you get to the kids um, and so I think because the parents are so involved um, in the decision um, and because private schools aren't inexpensive uh, parents are doing a lot of the research to make sure that the environment um, the academics the coaching resources and developmental resources are there and part of the bridge between that gap is these coaches that you're talking about right because it's, it's, it's coaches uh, at private schools um, that oftentimes pull and attract kids from outside their community and oftentimes that coach is the bridge between, you know, maybe the inner city kid and the suburban private school. Does that make sense? Yes. And so it, it, it's smart. It's the same thing SC does. It's the same thing that, you know, um, Fresno State does. It's the same thing that Texas does, right? You get you, you get you some ground soldiers out um, into the football community and you help to establish relationships to help parents become more familiar with uh, your school or your brand or your program. Did it used to be that way? No. But now more than ever, uh, competing for students um, in, in, in most private schools, which, you know, there's some schools that have max enrollment every year. Most of us do not. But we, all, we always have room at most private schools for more students, and that's just one way to attract them, is to go out and try to build relationships with them. And that is one of the other competitive disadvantages that you talk about. That's another have and have not. And so if your home school is a pump public school down in Los Angeles and that school doesn't have the resources to, to attract you and make your campus beautiful and to bring you in with shiny new uniforms and new equipment and the, up the latest cutting edge technology and strength and conditioning, 
you know, the, the local public school can't do that, but you got the private, two or three private school coaches that are in their shiny spirit packs and, you know, their cell phones and talking you up and making you promises about, you know, your future. Eh, eh, Tough call. What are you going to do? <laughs> it, 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 that's, not, that's not even a choice. That's not a hard choice. It's not even a choice. And it, 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 it puts parents and families, you know, um, in a situation where they, they now have options and, and, and decisions to make with regarding um, the, the, the education and athletic pursuits of their child. And I personally don't see anything wrong with it um, with regards to that. I do realize that it, it does create an unfair advantage um, for, for, for public and private schools. But we both know the world is not a fair place. This is true. And so because of that, um, we need to not be using the term, well, that's not fair, because you're always going to have social economic disparity between private schools and public schools. There's nothing you can do about that. And as long as the state of California is not willing to put the type of resources, and I'm not talking about the same resources um, as private schools, but they, the state needs to be willing to put at least you know, a minimum of at least adequate resources at all public schools and I think you would see a shift but the parents aren't running to these private schools as much as they are running away from these public schools and that's the reality of it how would you respond um, as an African American head coach here in Southern California at a private school which there aren't many by the way how would you respond to um, the inner city and their voice of saying Taking our talented tenth away from the inner city is destroying our inner city schools. I think that is a very, very limited perspective. Um, I would say when, when the, the, the coaches and the, the private school coaches, black or white, right, at any private schools are not solely responsible from, for, for taking kids out of these communities. You can't take some, someone someplace they don't want to go. That's the first thing, right? So, yeah, as a coach, I may be able to offer an opportunity, but I can't make it come. That makes sense, right? So if every parent has an option or has a choice um, to, 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 to choose what's best for them, then I don't see how coaches or schools um, are, are, you know, guilty or somehow responsible for the demise of what may be the, you know, the quality of football being played in the inner city. Look. I'm, I'm from the inner city. I get it, okay. But the 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 enrollment at at, at Crenshaw High School is is, is less than a thousand kids. Correct. So their their issue is not about they they can have a hundred football kids in their school right now, and that wouldn't affect the overall ability for that school to operate every day, right? So it, it, it that argument would only be you know valid and sustainable. If we were talking about schools that were well-funded, that had coaches that were well-supported, and resources that were adequate enough to help student-athletes develop and pursue their goals and dreams. But the reality is the schools themselves are not. And so I don't think that private school coaches, African-American or otherwise, um, I know I certainly don't feel any or bear any responsibility for uh, the demise of the inner-city schools because the only reason parents are making these decisions is because the public schools, the free opportunities that are being afforded to them 
they don't feel is adequate adequate enough. And that's just the reality of it. We we don't have to like it um, or even agree with it. But the reality of the situation is private schools have more resources. And if you want me to talk about it from the African-American perspective, I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate on that even for you as well, for those listeners who, who may think that I'm talking around your question. If I am providing an opportunity as a coach for African-American kids to better their educational advances and you know uh, student-athlete pursuits, again, I'm doing something positive for a kid. Maybe not so much for his community that he may be coming from in terms of you know the local competition, um, but I'm never going to apologize for giving a kid an opportunity to reach his goals and dreams. That's fair. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for part one of today's show. Really want to thank Coach Damian Porter Crespi High School for coming on and dropping some jewels, some gems for us to think about. We'll continue part two of this interview on Friday's Five Star Friday show. But until then, there's a new sheriff in town and his name is Reggie Hammond. Y'all be cool.